Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 52. Uh, we are spending a few days in Grand Rapids looking at the uh, Grand Rapids Griffin specifically, but also the Red Wing organization. And it gives me great pleasure to have as uh, our next guest is uh, Brian Mahoney Wilson, who is the development uh, uh, goaltending coach uh, for the Detroit Red Wings organization. If the name sounds familiar, uh, and I remember him as a player. I, he probably doesn't remember me when I covered the CCHA, but former Lake uh, State Laker uh, goaltender and uh, uh, now a coach. And let's bring Brian in and uh, get the show on the road. Brian, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Art. I appreciate you having me on today. So it's going to be uh, really good to go over what's going on uh, within the Detroit Red Wing system and to tell you the, the latest and greatest with our goaltending prospects. Well, great. I, I, you know, I, I want to get into your job, but first, I know you're from the East Coast, uh, Massachusetts. I, I did say that correctly, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but how does a guy from the Boston area, I think we all think like, you know, everyone thinks you're from Michigan, you're from Detroit, no matter where you're at, but how's a guy from, from Massachusetts get to Lake State? Uh, it was ultimately, I was in the uh, USHL and eventually the OPJHL and uh, a guy by the name of Jim Rock at the time. Oh yeah, I know Jim Rock. Head coach. Yeah. And uh, he was a guy that was a, a big advocate of me, myself. Uh, I had a couple schools back east, uh, northeastern in UMass and for me, it was uh, about uh, tradition and uh, heritage, and it was basically because of my uh, grandfather and great uncle. They used to have uh, a training camp up in the old polar in the Sioux, and uh, there is a, a bar there that I went to and uh, that called the Downtowner, and there is a gr uh, picture of my grandfather, Larry Wilson, and my great uncle, Johnny Wilson, who played for the Red Wings back in the 50s. They won a couple cups together. And uh, it showed me that uh, this was a little bit more significant than, than I thought, Lake Superior State. And uh, that's uh, one of the reasons, major reasons, why I went there. Now, I know Wilson is a, you know, it's a royalty name in Red Wing history. I know that. And, you know, Ron Wilson, you're related. I mean, you know, it's, we can go on and we'll, we'll get into that. But you must take after your mother's side because, let's be honest, the Wilson boys, although great people, we're not the best-looking guys around there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Art. No, it's uh, for for my my mom and dad. It was it was great because it, they met at Providence College. Uh, that's when my my dad uh, they moved to Rhode Island. The Wilson, all the Wilson boys uh, from Fort Erie, and uh, my grandfather Larry at the time coached uh, for the Providence Reds. So. Uh, that's where they established, and ultimately they they met together at uh, Providence College. Right. Well, hockey's in your is in your blood, mm -hmm. and we know that. Has the Red Wings always been in your blood? I mean, is this almost? I mean, if you were going to work for a professional team, Detroit's probably the logical choice. This is it. Other than being a hometown uh, Bostonian, uh, this is the team. Uh, original six. Uh, obviously, the legacy within this organization itself. Uh, great history. And uh, to represent the Wilson name on a daily basis is great, but also uh, to establish uh, some type of uh, goaltending development within this system uh, for the future and future success of this organi organization uh, is what's most important to me. Now, it, it, I know we, you mentioned my great uncle and all this kind of stuff, but for Red Wing fans, and you know that you know Original Six, if you know, if you follow an Original Six team. It's kind of like you know being part of a you know a alumnus of of a university. You know the, everybody. You know you know from where it starts to where it is and all that. 
what is the family tree with your family and the Red Wings? If you can explain it, and we can get that out of the way. Well, uh, Larry and Johnny uh, grew up in Windsor, and uh, they actually grew up with Jock Plant, oh, and wow. uh, they played for the Windsor Spitfires, and and uh, together they they had uh, a great relationship with Ted, Ted Lindsay as well, and they would uh, sit on the Windsor Detroit Bridge and and look over, and they were going to play at the Olympia for the Detroit Red Wings one day, and uh, ultimately that's what they did. And 1949. 1950 came around. That's when Larry and Johnny won their first Stanley Cup together, and uh, Larry, uh, Johnny, excuse me, went on to win four more. Uh, they both became uh, player head coach as well, and uh, it, the rest is history from there. And then ultimately, my uh, uncle Ron Wilson took over and uh, was a head coach for 20 years. Unfortunately, uh, he, he didn't coach, coach Detroit, but uh, he coached uh, one of the original six teams in Toronto. Right, and he also coached against the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup final when yes, he was he at Washington. And he got swept. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, that was a great team, and uh, they had a lot uh, building off of that, what had happened the, the year before, uh, unfortunate uh, circumstances in Detroit, the 97-98 season. And, and your Uncle Ron, very instrumental in USA Hockey. I mean, he really is, uh, I, I would imagine he probably even has maybe a dual citizenship. I really don't know, but he, uh, he, he definitely gravitated to... Uh, uh, to the red, white, and blue. Uh, look, let's be honest. Nothing against Canada, you know. Certainly. Yes. I, I'm just saying, though. That I mean, so you know, it's uh, it must, you know, you must feel pretty good. I, I would imagine that you know you're you're carrying on the tradition here. Absolutely. The boys, when they were 15 years old, all of them came to the states because of their father. Because he was playing, he went to Dayton and then to Providence. Uh, all-time, one of the all-time American Hockey League, uh, just in, in games played and and coached. And uh, they all got their green cards, and uh, that's when Ron started with the USA Hockey thing and uh, played on multiple World Cups, World Championships, and then ended up coaching uh, that big 1990, uh, I think it was 96, World Cup against Canada in Montreal where they beat uh, the Canadians two games to one in that series. And then, Is that uh, the Tony Amante? Yeah, Tony Amante, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Roenick, all that area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, ultimately he went and coached uh, the Olympics in 98 in Nagano. And then uh, he coached him again in 2010 in Vancouver. So. Uh, Definitely, Ron has a lot to do with uh, the building of USA Hockey where it is today. You're a little boy. You're growing up. Uh, how do you end up in net? In, in net? Uh, that's that's my mom's fault. So uh, <laughs> when my dad would uh, go out on the road dur during the day to do his day job, my mom would stay at home with me, and she'd be the one that'd be uh, throwing tennis balls, and I'd be in the Fisher Price hockey net. So um, my my role model growing up, uh, besides obviously my parents, watching TV was Andy Moog. Uh, oh, wow. And just uh, I gravitated towards him every time uh, the Bruins were on TV, and ultimately that's uh, what started me in, in minor hockey back home. Now, you, you know, I watched you play. I covered you when you were at Lake State. I always thought that you, you, know, you were an exceptional goaltender. I mean, Lake State, yeah, I go back to, you know, I can remember, obviously, uh, Jeff Jackson, but I remember Frank Anzalone, I mean, both incarnations of Frank, big barrel Brooklyn guy, uh, you know, barrel chested, I should yeah. say. Um, so you're, not that you're not familiar with Canada or the wilds, but Lake State is, is a little bit of a hike. What was the adjustment like to 
you know, be a college player and, and play, I'm not going to say a remote area, but an area that, get, let's just say, gets a lot of snow. Well, it's just a going from a city kid in Boston, you know all the prospects that are around there, and then you come out to the Midwest, you don't know them as much. And uh, you're playing in the old CCHA with, uh, they had the top teams as Miami, Michigan State, Michigan, and you had the Abdulcators, the Kennedys, you know, the Pacioretties. Um, it, it was a quite an adjustment just living up in the UP because uh, the snow drifts and the blizzards and uh, you had the I-500 right off of the th exit 396 in the Sioux, you know, and, and not, not much to do but play hockey and, and go to school. So uh, we had a lot of good friendships and good relationships up there that I've developed and I've kept in, kept in touch with guys, uh, namely Will Acton, his father Keith Acton. Rick Schofield, uh, he was a, an all-academic team as well as all-senior team. Uh, he plays over in Austria. We have a, a couple other guys that uh, are now in the pros. You know, you look at Kellen Lane, you look at Zach Trotman, Churchman, Buddy Robinson. So all those guys that I came in touch with, uh, still to this day, I, I keep in touch. You know, it, it, it's such a great, uh, you know, being part of a team. You know, I, you know, I covered so many college teams. And, you know, we, the thing and why I'm so distraught, and we'll get on to the Red Wings, I promise here, but is that the CCHA was was so great because Lake State could compete with Michigan or Michigan State or Notre Dame or Ohio State. I mean, they're the real big boys that compete in, you know, Division One in every sport imaginable. Um, I, I would, for you, when, you know, you're there you are at Lake State, a team that's won, won national championships in their own right. I mean, nothing to really, uh, you know, be looked down upon. I, but it, it must be a rush, though, when you get out there and you see, when you can knock off, quote-unquote, some of the big boys, that's got to feel pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing I noticed was the, the national championships they won under Frank, under Jeff. Right. And... When I came into Lake State, they had had a really good goalie in Jeff Jakaitis, and uh, he had put up some record-breaking numbers, and uh, that was a lot to fulfill. So uh, for me, I wanted to give the, the best uh, minutes I could for Jeff, uh, for Jim Rock, and Jim was a really good coach. Yeah. And uh, He works for Toronto now. Yes, he does yeah. in that organization as far as scouting, and he's a great X's and O's guy. Uh, he sees the game very well, and he always give us, gave us gave our team a blueprint every night uh, in order for us to compete and he did a great job recruiting and uh, you know we were fortunate enough to stay in I don't know how many one goal games we had uh, in, <laughs> in which we lost and then sometimes in which we won but versus the the top teams in that league. Um, for those of you thinking that uh, <laughs> that Brian and I are, are in a bar or some sort of <laughs> thing here we are at a function a Grand Rapids Griffins function and they're having uh, maybe some silent auctions or things are going on there's a little bit of music it's a a beer and wine tasting thing, and we're in an office in clothes, but... And it's uh, a Tuesday night, Tuesday night, so the guys can have a, a little beer tasting. Yeah, thing. right, exactly. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're taken care of, you know, they're, they're, they're very responsible young men. Uh, so if you hear that background, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, you're, you're playing college hockey. I know you want to be a pro. You know, you, you have family that were, were, were in the NHL. It doesn't sort of work out, I mean, so... You know, it's a tough thing. You know, you're you're facing what kids that you and you saw probably every level you advanced. It comes a point where you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, it, it might be time to do something else. How difficult was that for you? It was it was a tough choice uh, to make that decision. And uh, it was a summer after my first year of pro, in which I bounced around a little bit in the CHL, ECHL, American League. 
and uh, I had actually it's two hip surgeries in a matter of uh, 12 months and so that had a lot of uh, effect on my decision as well you know that uh, I wanted to have a body that I could uh, live with someday instead of play another five six seven years in, in the East Coast League and you know bum around from city to city you know and, and travel so uh, my next decision was you know I want to stay in the game I want to be uh, re relevant and uh, it was goalie coaching and I had I've been coaching goalies since uh, I was 15 years old, Art. You know, really? and uh, and that was starting at Tim Lovell's hockey school back in Boston, Massachusetts. Tim Lovell was a former captain of Maine University, and uh, then I went on to work with uh, Brian Eklund. He's he former uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, draft pick, and then also uh, with stop a goaltending Brian Decord. And Brian's one of the best people I've worked with, not only business wise but uh, goalie coach. He knows is X's and O's. He's in very innovative as well so that's where a lot of my uh, formulation my thought process I get uh, philosophically on goaltenders is from but uh, besides the fact it also when I was drafted by San Jose so I uh, also learned from Wayne Thomas and Warren oh, yeah. Stralo as well as at the time when I was drafted in 2004 they'd have Genny Dabakov, Mika Kiprasov and Vesa Toskala so oh those guys were awesome to, to learn from educationally about the game and uh, to, to bring uh, all sorts of stuff to the game today. So you always gra you, you always gravitated to the game obviously yes. but, but but you always gra it sounds like you gravitated to coaching a little bit too. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you I'm going to tell this story and I've told it on this podcast a lot and people are going to say don't don't say it again but I'm going and I want to ask you if goalies are crazy and the reason why is because in the days when they traveled by train yeah. The, the skaters could have beer on the train. Goalies could drink whatever they wanted, liquor, hardcore, whatever they wanted to because they are a different breed. Is that true? Are goalies different? I mean, you have to be different to step in front of a puck uh, with armor on, <laughs> per se. But uh, I would say the defensemen are different, too. You're shot blocking. You have a half shield. So are they just as crazy? I think Ilya Brzgolov said that best in, in one of his episodes on HBO. Uh, but uh, goalies in, in general, the guys that I've worked with, uh, they want to know a lot. They're very cerebral people. Uh, and that could be intellectually. It could be communicatively. Um, or just socially in person. So, uh, yes, you have to be a little bit different to step in front of a, uh, some rubber, but uh, they are very cerebral, outgoing people, for sure. When you decide that you're going to go into coaching, you know, we hear so much that a coach is maybe 90% psychologist to a degree where there's some guys that you might have to kick in the pants, there's some guys you have to put your arm around, there's some guys that you constantly have to talk to, other guys that you hardly, you might say hello or maybe give them a holiday card, a Christmas card or something. How difficult is it to gauge how to coach someone, or do you just have a style and, hey, I'm Brian Mahoney Wilson, this is what we're going to do? No, I, I go with what is best for them, and uh, I learn what their personality is all about, and that's the most important to me, is to figure out what relationship works best for us. Uh, we first off talk about, you know, 
ins and outs of just life in general. Right. What's gotten them to this point and what do they want to improve upon? Not with what I just see, what I've pre-scouted in all the video. Uh, because I know a lot when, when I receive these guys, when I get to, to the point where they work with me, I know a lot about their game. But what do they want to get better at, you know, uh, intuitively, uh, development-wise, to get them to a highest level? It's it's a, a two-way street, no doubt. Uh, and you can take uh, Jared Crow, for example. I mean, he's a guy that's on the verge of making that professional backup role right now. It's more of a 90% psychology in the sense of letting him feel out what's what's best for Jared and his routine, his structure. Whereas a guy like Mate Mahovsky, he's new to our system, and I got to be a little bit more hands-on, work with his technique a little bit further, and uh, kind of mold him into the direction we both want to see him for the future of this organization. So when you get a prospect for the first time, a draft pick or whomever, um, do you, you don't go in there and kind of lay down the law or say this is what it is. It's more of a conversation. You really want to get to know them. It sounds like you've seen them on film, I'm sure. You know that you're, you've drafted them for a reason. So at this point is where you really want to get to know them as a person, as you said, first find out what makes them pick, and then be able to apply their personality to the principles of how to be a good goaltender. Uh, you're absolutely correct. If you go in guns a, guns a blazing, then they won't, one, they, they feel threatened, they feel taken aback, um, and it's almost like they can't respect you. You have to feel them out, see who they are as a person, uh, understand how they tick, and then ultimately, once they gain your trust, they see the structure in which I coach on a day-to-day -day basis, then we can start having that give and take relationship uh, day to day, whether it be a video session, a goalie session, or even outside of the rink itself, going to a coffee shop, talking shop, or even getting away from the, the game itself and having a little bit of fun. And, and we don't have to always be serious about the actual game itself. So that ultimately, on a day-to-day -day basis, they can come to me and tell me anything they want to, and it's between me and the goaltender himself. When you look at your job, and I want what is your you know uh, your development uh, coach for goaltenders for the Detroit Red Wing organization? Uh, can you describe that? I mean, I, I know you're on the road a lot. You see virtually everybody. Everybody that's a Red Wing goaltending prospect and guys here in Grand Rapids, guys in Toledo, uh, perhaps because Soleil goes up in Detroit, maybe you don't, you know, at one time Peter Morazic or Jimmy, you know, maybe you, you're there and you might bounce some things off them. I mean, they're more than approachable, those two. Uh, but uh, give us a description of what your job really entails. So day-to-day -day basis is I, I usually come down... Uh, with Grand Rapids. Every You're based day. In, in the in, west side in, of the state. Yeah, Grand Rapids, uh, just right outside, 15 minutes outside the downtown. Come down to the rink every day, and it's uh, basically our two main guys there. And for the, most of this year, it's been Jared Crow, Tom McCollum. Now, with Jared being up, it's uh, Mate Mahoski and Tommy McCollum. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, making sure their game is intact, they're ready to go, and they feel comfortable with uh, the process in which they play. Then uh, I'm usually here two to three days a week. Uh, I will stay for home games. I will travel with the team most times unless I'm traveling to watch prospects or draft eligible guys. Um, I'll go down to Toledo four times, typically four, three to four times a month, 
and I'll work with, uh, at the time, before Jared went up, it was uh, Mate Mahofsky and Pat Nagel. Mm. Actually, Pat Nagel, I played against it, uh, when he was at Ferris State. Right. So I it's funny, it it's like you're, you're playing and then you're coaching a guy. So it's, And Pat's had a great year and a very good goalie in which he's improved a lot too. So that's a, that's a part of my schedule. And then also I'm in, in charge of the prospects, the five prospects in, in our system. Uh, we have five prospects that are really qualified. We have Keith Petrozelli at Quinnipiac, uh, Chase Perry at RPI, Joran Van Pottelberg in Switzerland. Uh, Caden Falter in Hamilton in the OHL and Philip Larson in Tri-City, which I have to go watch those guys. I have to go hands-on, uh, at least see one to two times a year. And if I can go out to a practice as well, I will a couple times a year as, as, as well. Um, and then also with the 2000-born draft eligible goalies, I'm in charge of watching around 30 to 40 goalies, whether that be video or live. And I, I, right now, so far, I've seen about six, seven guys live. I'll probably see about three more uh, before the end of the draft. Now, I know you have to follow. You said like 30 or 40 guys that are draft eligible, or you know, you, 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 so you, so you're looking all, you're scouring the globe, you know, for goaltenders, yes. for goaltenders and talent. Is it is it Tyler Wright? Who tells you to look? How do you know who to look at? I guess is what I'm saying because you know most of the time when I talk to coaches, unless they're a goaltending coach or development coach such as yourself, it's like I don't know anything about goalies. You know, head coaches. You know, Mike Babcock. I don't know. I guy. I don't know about goalies. You know, I I have no idea. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so where does it come from? I mean. So we have a great scouting staff, and, and they're all located, whether that be North America and Europe, and they will email me, reach out to me to let me know where to look for the right goalies, and 2000 born, 99, 98, 97 that are eligible for the entry draft up until now, and uh, they'll lead me in the right direction so that I can reach out to goalie coaches that uh, have these certain prospects, and I'll reach out to the teams, I'll do my due diligence, and I'll get the video um, or whatever it may be on these typical prospects. But we have a great uh, goalie scout over in Europe. His name's Maciej Swak. He's been over to a couple of development camps and uh, training camp as well. He works for Farstad and the SHL over in that league, and uh, he has a great uh, thumb on all the, the goalies in Scandinavia and in that region in, in uh, Eastern and Western Europe. So it's He's uh, fabulous when it comes to resources to giving me uh, video on Swedish, Finnish goalies, or uh, certain goalies in Switzerland and that in that region. When is there a definitive skill besides stopping the puck? I mean, I know that, but that all goalies have that you know that you look at. I mean, if, if there's it, it, it's like the litmus test. There's something that every goalie has to do and has to do well, or they're just not going to make it. Is there one such magical skill that they need? I think like any anyone else, it's skating. Uh, to be able to have good balance, good control on your edges, uh, and that leads to all functionality of the position itself. To go, be able to go up, to go down, side to side, east-west, north-south. Um, and to be able to maneuver your body into these positions with, I mean, I'm sure you've seen how technical goaltending has gotten right. the last oh, five, six, seven years with the goalie coaching and the development and all these positions and how they manipulate their bodies. Uh, skating is primarily the number one thing. And then ultimately, as, as a goaltender, you have to have great eyes. Hand-eye is very 
uh, important skill set and you see today's goalies uh, more than ever working on the hand-eye coordination, uh, all the, the juggling, uh, the vision training that uh, all the NHL guys do, you try to relay to the younger guys and they get into that routine. So for my skill set, just uh, from a coaching standpoint and an evaluator, uh, it, the number one thing is definitely does he have body control, can you teach that? Does he have reactions? And it's all established through the balance on which he is on his feet. Yeah, I asked Jimmy Howard this when he was on the Red and White Authority, because um, I'm kind of a goaltending freak myself. I, it's like the position, you know, I, it's one of the very few positions in all the sports where you're on, you play the whole game, you know, except yeah. if you're pulled for, you know, the extra skater or mm -hmm. something. But basically, you're the guy. I mean, you're out there all the time. You know, last line of defense, we can go on cliche after cliche. But is there... Is there something about being a goaltender that makes you, because of the nature of the position, where you want to be the man? That's why you're in net. I mean, you you thrive on being that last line of defense. I mean, and that's, you know, there's some guys that want to take the face off or score the winning goal, but you're the guy who says, nah, I want to stop everything. You know, I want I want the buck to stop here, so to speak. I mean, that's, it's got to be pretty extraordinary in a way. It, it is from their perspective in the sense that they know they're the last line of defense, but also they can dictate the entire outcome of a game. Uh, they, the most important uh, word that I use, that probably a lot of goalie coaches use, is game management. If a goalie can manage a game for 60 minutes, more than likely the team in front of them is going to win. And it, you'll find that with a lot of goalies, like I said earlier in the podcast, is they're either extroverted or introverted, right. and it's all their personality. So you'll see a lot of guys that you watch in the NHL on a day-to-day -day basis, they're like a whole hum mentality, you know, nothing rattles them. And then there's other guys that fire them up. They need to be into the music and into the, the fan base and, you know, whatever it may be. So there's definitely different personalities involved within the goaltending position. But uh, to say that uh, you are ultimately responsible for winning and losing the game, that's, that's the reality. You have to be on every night and you're a guy that plays 60 minutes and the coach relies on you. And that's why it's a heavy load uh, for these guys that are, it doesn't matter if you're a one or a two guy. And that's why the goaltending development position or being a goalie coach like Jeff Saleko, it's, it's very important for you to be uh, hands-on with these guys. Let them talk to you on a day-to-day -day basis and let everything off their chest, good or bad. Um, that, that's a really important thing, even at a professional level. Jeff Saleko obviously is the Red Wing goaltending coach. How often are you in contact with him and what kind of discussions does does he have time or does he have his hands full with the big club making sure Jimmy or Peter and now Jared, you know, that everything's going well, that they have all their needs, you know, working with them? Or does he have time to say, hey, you know, I, I, I caught uh, Petrozelli at Quinnipiac. I caught that game on TV and, you know, or, or does he re really rely on you on feedback and you rely on him saying, this is what I've observed, what do you think? It's a, it's a little bit of give and take both for both of us. Uh, Typically, whether it be Jeff or myself, we reach out to each other at the start of every week, whether it be a phone call or text message, and uh, we discuss what's going on in the current state in Grand Rapids, and then ultimately down into Toledo, and then within our prospects, whether that be Jeff reaching out to Keith Petrozelli, uh, he knows Jared Wayman really well, or myself watching uh, Caden Fulcher and crop, cropping and clipping a couple games so that Sal can see that you know he's doing well and having a great year so 
on a day-to-day day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, we're definitely in communication so that they're on the same page uh, up top with Detroit. What kind of communication, you know, we hear, you know, I, I guess people would still look at the CHL, the Canadian Hockey League, if you have prospects there, it's like rogue. You can go you can go in there, you can buy them dinner, you can do whatever you want. Now you have a college kid, the NCAA, as we know, which is, you know, has been taking some hits here lately uh, about being corrupt and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you have to watch it. I mean, you know, can, can you give Petrozelli after a game? Can you toss him a Snickers bar? Is that a violation? I mean, do you have to watch, I, I depending have, on what you, on, on where you're at, what you can and cannot do? I, my, my theory is I go in and I, I typically uh, meet with them, whether it be before before or after practice and we sit down have a cup of coffee for a half hour and then ultimately I watch their game I evaluate their game give them a, a couple pointers after all all very positive and uh, just make sure that they're enjoying college enjoying academics their friends uh, the team culture and then ultimately that's my responsibility to relay to Jeff what happened that weekend uh, when I go out to visit uh, one of those prospects and, and it's different for an OHL guy you can you can do that you can take them to dinner and, and so on and so forth uh, Caden uh, with Caden's situation in Hamilton he's uh, already signed and, and uh, he's a possibility that he could end up in a place like Toledo next year or the year after after an overage right. but uh, it's it's different from prospect to prospect I actually went over and saw Joran van Pottelberg over in Europe and Switzerland and uh, we went out to dinner and and uh, you know shoot, shoot the breeze for a little bit and just you know see what's going on in his life and uh, you know it was interesting to see how he lives on a day-to-day -day basis in a different culture so um, everyone has the, their different ways of doing it as a development coach but mine's just very business-like but I also keep it when we're communicating very fun uh I, I know I said I asked Jimmy Howard I asked Jimmy Howard this question too the one thing that, that, that kind of gets under my skin is we always hear goaltending equipment's too big or goaltending, you know, you know, you know, I granted, you know, Garth Snow had like the deflecto pads or whatever in the hell those things were that, you know, were bigger than his head uh, on both of his shoulders. I, I get that. I understand it. But when I look at these sticks that they're making now, with graphite and, you know, the torque that they have on these things, I mean, these guys are firing missiles. And they're and they're more concerned, you know. How about protection of the goalie? I mean, you're damn right. I want would want some padding on, and the padding's a lot. You know, it's not the old horse feathers and leather, you know, that yeah. got so heavy you could barely move in them after you were sweating in the ice and all that stuff. I guess my point being is, is that is this a good crackdown on goalies? Do you think that equipment's too big? Do you think they're being picked on? I think uh, they haven't been overly picked on because they've actually reduced the size and certain areas of the equipment, whether it be the pants or uh, the chest gear, so that uh, maybe some seams do open up in the, the shoulders or elbows, uh, the biceps, forearms, but uh, I thought what they did with the pads was terrific because it actually has made guys uh, faster. It more obviously mobile, right? It is more mobile, but also it's actually increased scoring a little bit, surprisingly, because it, it uh, for certain guys, it, uh, for bigger guys, you know, they have to get that butterfly together a little bit more. Instead, I have the cheaters on top, you know, two, three inches extra, and they can just drop down, and it's already covered. So uh, I think it's a, it's been a lot more beneficial than people think, and I. I'm assuming that... Uh, just so it's good for goalies. Goal, good for goalies. It's, just, it's a fine line now just between uh, if they want to tweak it anymore, which there have been rumors out there. But I think more importantly, it's just keeping the goalies safe with 
uh, the goalie interference rules and you know whatever those are in today's uh, yeah can, today you, figure, the, can yeah, you figure them out it's, it's like the, it's really it's like the process of the catch in the NFL yeah. no one knows what's going on it's difficult but as long as we can uh, make sure that the goalies are protected you know they're always going to get the headshots with the the one timers and all that it's uh, it's the risk you take so <laughs> do, you, do, do you ever tell I mean do do you give them like a few pointers about like if someone gets in your cre crease, you know, I know you weren't a drama major, but bam, fall down or anything like that? I mean, do, do you do you have a feel enough where, because I'm sure they're confused out there. I know skaters are confused out there. So goaltender interference, is that a, an approachable subject? Is that something you, or, or do you just let it go because it seems to change from game to game practically? Uh, we have to let it go because at the American League level and East Coast League level, they don't have review, and they can only review the head overhead on if it, oh if gosh. a goal crossed the line. So, you, you look at that the NHL rules or as far as the iPad and going to Toronto, uh, we don't have that capability. So, if we argue a point, the referees more than likely, you know, 99% of the time is not going to uh, side with your case. So he's going to go with what his gut instinct is what with what he saw so we don't really talk about that but more importantly it's about the safety of the guys in that situation and if it's a, a situation where the opposition at the net front is is in your crease and taking uh, charge on your personal space then by all means uh, you know you're you're able to sell it at some points so no doubt about that when you look at your position has it changed from the standpoint of there were, you know, go back a couple of seasons ago, everyone was under the assumption that Peter Morazak was Detroit's goaltender of the future. Until he, you know, won that game 6-5 on his birthday, you know, he was top five in virtually every major goaltending category in the NHL. For whatever reason, maturity, where, you know, who knows? I mean, we're human beings. We've got a lot of things going on in our lives. It, you know, he had not been the same. He, he had shown brilliance, but... Obviously, when it's, you know, and we all know this, you know, you're going to qualify him for $4 million. I don't think the Red Wings were going to do that. They left him unprotected. Vegas didn't take him. Uh, took Thomas, you know, Noshek. And yeah. instead, um, he's gone now. He's in Philly. We wish him luck, obviously. He's a good guy. Uh, Jimmy is in the last year, next year of his contract, 34, 35, 36. Lo and behold, if you're a Red Wing fan, you're looking at who's in net? Yeah. Who's going to be in net? Once Morazak's moved, Jimmy's getting older, and you know he's still got a lot of hockey in him. I'm not throwing him to the curb or anything. How does that? Has your job changed now, where you know that goaltending obviously is always important, but boy, when you look at the Red Wings and what they're trying to do, they got to find themselves a goal. Absolutely, I agree with you in that standpoint. Now that Peter's gone, Jimmy's needs to obviously take the ball, run with that. Um, and obviously, whatever Ken does with uh, that contract, then whatever happens. But you know, Jared's Corot has got the opportunity to go in and improve himself. He's an unrestricted free agent this year. Um, you know, over the next, you know, if he starts four or five games, uh, to to go in and improve himself, that he can earn another contract with this organization, or um, you know, promote himself to to other teams as well. And. Uh, Within my job duties, all I, I have to do is just make sure that the guys in the current system are ready to go and that they're eligible, that they're ready for 
Ryan Martin from Ken Holland from Jeff Blaschel's standpoint and most importantly Jeff Salako's standpoint ready to make a, a start in the NHL uh, that whether that be an NHL backup role or NHL number one. Wow so that's uh, so, so I, I guess you know not to put words in your mouth uh, Brian but but there's pressure no matter what. Whatever the situation is, it, it, you know, you're, you're in professional sports, you always have to produce. Uh, and I agree with that. Ultimately, it's the pressure of, of the one that performs, though. We're the, just the guys that can support them and, and teach them the, the little nuances about the position and improve. Uh, tweak some things so that they can perform on a day-to-day -day basis, whether at, it is at an American League, but uh, you, they want to get to the highest level in the NHL and, and perform in, in front of 17 to 20,000 people a night, and that's a lot of pressure on an individual, and if you look at it from a standpoint, from a fan's perspective, that's it's a lot of pressure of putting Peter in, in that situation in the last couple years. Uh, and he was young. He's he a young, was young goalie. Young goalie, and, and there was a lot of adversity he had faced, and and uh, ultimately competing with another guy that's just as capable, if not capable more, Jimmy Howard, it, it's tough. It's tough to develop, and it's, uh, I think it, it gives him a clean start. Uh, you know, he, before he was traded, before Christmas, or excuse me, after Christmas, uh, I think he was the best in numbers, six, six in numbers for, from a goaltender standpoint, uh, as far as overall goals against and save percentage in the NHL. Uh, since the start of 2018, I think this gives him a fresh start. And uh, whether that be with another team or Philadelphia qualifies him, it's going to be good for him. When you look at, um, there's only two goalies on a team, but they're sort of in competition with one another because they both want to play, and obviously only one can play in the in the game. And, you know, sometimes there's definitive backup and, and starter. I understand that, number one guy, number two guy. But is it possible to be friends with the guy you're competing with every day or have you seen it where guys don't get along or they're too competitive and then other guys like you know like Mike Vernon and Chris Osgood might as well have been brothers you know that they, they got along so well and and really I think you know Ozzy's nature you know he talks about almost every guy he played with and how much he admired them and really liked them and even Garth Snow. Yes. Uh, I, I'm taking shots at Garth today. That, that, equip, that equipment <laughs> oh, still yeah. just freaks me out. Man. Yeah, right. It really was. I mean, that was pretty amazing. Blame him if you don't like these rules for goals. But uh, but anyway, my, I guess my point being is is that, and then as a development coach, I mean, you understand. You play the position. You know that. Mm -hmm. So is it good to have a rivalry or? Is it good to be almost a blood enemy? There, no doubt, there's great to have competition, and that's competition in in goalie drills, goalie sessions. Yeah, you're learning, you're tweaking, you're teaching, but as far as keeping the puck out of the net, they they compete. I've seen it firsthand last year between Eddie Pasquale and Jared Crow, and then this year between Jared Crow and Tom McCollum, and. Uh, if there's any tension between the two, uh, two partners, mm -hmm. I'll nip that in the butt right away. And I'll, I'll flat out tell them face to face that, hey, you're teammates and that you need to get along somehow, some way. But I've had no problems with that. Uh, they've been very supportive. Each guy is competing for ice time. They're competing for, for minutes to win games for their team. But ultimately, over time, you can see the roles develop, who's right. going to earn more minutes, who's going to start more, and they, they respect that, they get that, but ultimately in the end of the day, you're a competitor, you want to play, you want to compete versus the other guy, um, but most importantly, you're in a team game, you want to see your team win, and that doesn't matter if you're development role or the NHL level, and uh, you're always going to have uh, guys 
coming up the pipeline that are going to be younger. Right, so it's right. a matter of relaying to your older guys that, hey, that guy, like, for example, Mate Bohoski, the last couple of weeks has had two starts. I had to relay to Tommy that he's going to get some starts, that we want to see him play. And, it, you know, what? at the same time, I want to see him push Tommy so that Tommy performs at another level. So it's, it's really good uh, from a standpoint. It gets your juices flowing as an athlete. And uh, from my standpoint as a development coach, all I want to see them do is succeed but also be, uh, you know, worthy of each other. Understand that, you know, they're both competing for the same thing and be, have, be uh, respectful of it. Would Thomas McCollum be one of those guys where you are kind of a psychologist? I remember at the World Juniors for Team USA, he was fabulous. He was absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Red Wings draft him. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. You know, uh, this, this is a good guy. I, I remember one game where I guess it was against St. Louis in Detroit, or he let in like, I don't know, a bunch of goals and he sat out, but his replacement didn't do well, or I might be mixing this up, but, you know, I've seen so many players over the year. But it, it, it hasn't probably worked out like he originally thought that it was going to work out for him uh, as far as an NHL level goaltender. Yet, he really is a pro by the definition of a pro because he hangs in there. He respects the game, he respects the position he plays, and he respects that team concept. So, I mean, it, 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 you know, he's a guy you root for, but as the years start to pass by, you know, who knows, maybe he comes up to you and says, you know, Brian, I'm thinking about maybe going into coaching, you know, I, yeah. I think that maybe this is it. I mean, so that, again, you come in, in contact with so many different personalities, right? And yes. so many different guys who, you know, like, I, you know, I'll be honest, I mean, I thought McCollum was going to be the guy. Yeah. You know, I really did. You know, he played so well. And for whatever reason, and I'm not trying to trash him, I'm certainly not. You know, I'm just saying that, wow, it's such a fine line between being there and not being there. Yes, I, I agree with you. Tommy's a, a 10th year pro and he's experienced a lot within this system. And then last year facing a, a lot of adversity for his career in the sense he got bounced around a little bit uh, in LA, Calgary system. And then ultimately loaned out to Charlotte in which he went on a run. And right. Tommy still has a lot left in the tank. And that's what people don't really realize is uh, obviously being, a, you know, not playing as many games as Jared Caro this year, but you know, he still has got a lot left in his game, and I see him, whether it be with our organization or another organization, he'll put in good quality minutes. And I think, you know, there's tw almost 20 games left in this season. He's going to be a crucial factor in us making the playoffs, and it's it'll be huge for him. And But I understand from your standpoint, you know, having that first-round uh, label on you, and that's tough for a guy. Right. And, uh you know, for Tom, he's taken it with class, and ultimately for him, uh, you know what? He's established himself as a very, very good American League goalie, and what has he did, done? He has the most wins in Griffin's history, and that's a credit to him for sticking around and, and doing that. And I, from my standpoint as a development coach, and I, I'm trying to teach him just uh, a couple new things here and there. I hope that he takes a couple of things that he learns this year and applies it, whether it be he, he be here next year or somewhere else. So uh, that's that's the most important. And if I could see Tom becoming a, a coach, just why? Because he's a great guy, uh, mm -hmm. very good with with people, with kids, and uh, socially very good. And, and I hope to to see nothing but the best for him in the future in hockey or and in life in general. Well, I. I 
I, I think if, if maybe there's one thing. Let's take a step back here. If you want to say something to fans, guys like me who sit there and watch the World Juniors, you know, I remember when the Tatar's coming out party. And when the Red Wings drafted him, I, I can remember two times I called Jim Nill up after the draft. When they drafted Tatar and when they drafted Riley Sheehan, who I saw at Notre Dame all those years. And I said, you know, Jim, you got some, you got a really good player there. You know, I've seen him play, and it's like, you know, yeah, I know, Art. That's why we drafted him. And he would laugh and stuff. But our expectation level, fans' expectations levels are not realistic because they, you know, they know the game, they love the game, they have a passion for it, but they don't know maybe what it really takes to get to that next level. I mean, is there, do, do you sometimes like to say to guys like me, media people, or, you know, just regular fans, Griffin fans, or whomever, wherever you're at, whatever venue, say, yeah, he's good, but, you know, take a step back and let him... Let it come to him. Yeah. Don't force it on him because fans love to force everything on yes. on players. You could say that for Jared last year. He went five one and one to start, and then ultimately the wheels kind of fell off a little bit, in which he got uh, into the backup role, which he really hadn't faced in in several years in his career. So, uh, from our, our standpoint as goalie coaches. Uh, myself and Sal, you know, we wanted to see him get another chance, but you're on a day-to-day -day basis, a performance-based results. What have you done for me lately? And that's just the way pro hockey is. That's how life works in business or anything else. And um, you want immediate results, and that's that's the NHL level. Every day, right. every game, it matters. So it's it's a lot of pressure on these guys, and it's different at an American Hockey League level where. There's a little bit more leniency. If a guy loses, a, you know, three in a row or four in a row, hey, it's okay. You know, let him just feel the struggles, feel the adversity. We'll sit down. We'll go through video. We'll practice him a little bit harder or in certain areas that he needs to work on. But for for guys like a Jared, when he goes up to the Detroit Red Wings, he knows that. Not too many chances you get at this opportunity. It doesn't matter your first round or right, a free right. agent pick. So, uh, for a fan's perspective, I understand why you know fans press or through social media, and under, it's understandable. So, but that, that's the, the the thing the guys sign up for as pro hockey players. Well, let's do a little word association here. I'm with uh, on the Red White Authority episode 52. Brian Mahoney Wilson, the development uh, goaltending development coach in the Red Wing organization. Um, I've always said that if the Red Wings are going to turn around maybe a little quicker than, than fans want, they have to catch a break on a player. Like a guy who seems to come out of nowhere and, you know, I, you know the, the hockey gods shine a beam on him and lo and behold, this guy's a perennial all-star. So, I think that guy might be. And, cause I, you know, and I've talked to you about him before, is, uh, is Philip Larson. Uh, he was at the, uh, you know, the, the the Four Nations tournament or whatever. No, not the Five Nations that just happened, but the summer tournament, um, where he was a third goalie for Sweden. You know, Ryan Martin and I are hoping that he gets to play a game. Now he plays the third game, and then he plays the big rivalry game against Finland. He, by his own admission, says these guys, these coaches, don't even know who I am. These Swedish coaches, but he, he's he's a little off center. I mean, you know, he, yeah, yeah. he you know, and I, I enjoy his company. But here's a kid that, you know, he's in the USHL with uh, the, 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 the it's, everyone thinks he and, and Rasmussen are teammates. They're not. <laughs> they both play for Tri-City. One's yeah. in Iowa. Yeah. Rasmussen's in the WHL in, in, you know, in Washington State. But is he that guy? 
Uh, Could he be that guy? He's been like USHL goalie of the week forever. He committed to the much to my, I want him to go to Michigan, but he he committed to uh, Denver, which is a really good you know school in its own right. So. Where is he? Philip, and just in general, to give you a little bit of background, he's from Stockholm. He has uh, the typical Stockholm swagger, and uh, he played on uh, throughout his entire career in Jurgarden uh, in, in the Swedish Hockey League uh, in their system uh, in the J20, J18. And uh, Maciej Swak, our development coach, found him. And you know, we wanted to give Philip the best opportunity possible to succeed. And it was to come over here into the States and he wanted to go to college. And good on the kid because he's worked to get to that point and to commit to Denver. And I think he has, his potential is sky's the limit for him. Uh, some people are starting to compare to him uh, over in Sweden is he could be the next Henrik Lundqvist. Well, and they both were, I think, six round picks or something, yes, right? I mean, yes. wasn't... Henrik was seventh. So oh, seventh. Yeah, okay, and, yeah, okay. Uh, no, because I knew Montoya was like the, supposedly the heir apparent in that, and Lundqvist took that away from him. It's very interesting. Uh, they they play a very similar style, really? a very blocking technique, a deeper in the the crease, um, and so in very similar personalities. You know, nothing really rattles them too much. They will get fired up at times, uh, just situational, based on the situation, and then uh, for Philip. Uh, his goaltending ability, just cerebral and reading the play, is absolutely phenomenal. And it's through the roof. So, for Philip to be over in the States and for me to be hands on with him, I've seen him multiple times. I saw him in the World Juniors uh, play against Team Switzerland, in which he won the game 7 to 2. Uh, this is a huge step for his career, and I think right now uh, on our list, he, he's right up there with some of the best prospects we have. And because I'm, you know, because I'm, you know, like a fan, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, what kind of timeline? When are we going to see him in Detroit? I mean, you know, I mean, did, could he be fast tracked? Absolutely. Like, uh, I doubt he's a, a four-year guy at, at a university, and we have him only for two more years. His rights. So uh, he could be a guy that could be one or two-year guy at Denver, and then right to Grand Rapids. So as a as a guy that can work his way up as a, from a backup role and at, add more minutes as he goes, and 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 earn that. Um, and I, I could see a guy like him, and it's going to take. It's it's all up to the goalie and how he matures. Because um, you don't want to fast track him and you know put him in a spot where he's not going to develop properly. You could see a guy like him in maybe 2022, 23, uh, in that that area, that time frame, maybe crack a, a game into the, the NHL with Detroit. Right. Well, you know, he would. You know, certainly he would. Uh, he would be very quotable. I'm pretty sure, and I, I think that you're right. He doesn't seem to get rattled too much, but I could tell that he was a little bit miffed. When he was at the uh, at the tournament, the summer tournament, where which was, was Finland, Sweden, the U.S. and Canada, and the U.S. and Canada had two teams until they went down to one. one. But you know, he it was, it was almost like, what am I doing here? You know, but he had when he got that opportunity, he made the best of it. I mean, look, if yeah. you're going to start against uh, Finland, where Casper Kotzkinsalo, another Red Wing traffic said even though Philip didn't win a game in that thing, he predicted they were going to beat Sweden. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that, that's a real rivalry, as we all know, who follow hockey. Yeah. And, you know, and here's, and they gave him, you're between the pipes, buddy. And he, so that says a lot. Sweden gave him the opportunity. He, he wanted to make the most for Sweden. And he knew that going into the USHL year, 
that uh, he would really have to prove his stock because he was competing against Ole Eriksson Eck, who was drafted by Anaheim, and uh, also uh, Philip uh, Gustafson, who was traded actually uh, at the at the deadline from Pittsburgh, um, and to Ottawa. And so uh, he knew he had to make a, a point. He wanted the backup role because he knew Philip Gustafsson was in the SHL in the, in the men's league over in Sweden, and he would probably be the one guy. And you know what? To Philip's case, he's had six shutouts this year in Tri-City, and he's played uh, over 20 games. He has 14, 15 wins, so good for him and to do that. Right, and I'm referring to the World Junior Summer Showcase. Yes, yeah. Is, you know, it, it's at the... Uh, um, the old Plymouth Whalers Arena, which is USA Hockey yeah. Arena now, uh, where the, the development program now is stationed mm -hmm. instead of Ann Arbor. Uh, Chase Perry, uh, RPI Engineers. Uh, Chase has been a guy that, you know, he's big, he's an athletic goalie. Uh, what, 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 what's been like for Chase? Chase, honestly, for his college career, has been up and down and facing a lot of adversity. and. For his sake, he's gone through a uh, coaching change, uh, rebuilding program at Colorado College where he had to go back to juniors in, in Wenatchee, and then coming to a, a team that was very, very average in RPI. And this year they had a, a, an incredible goalie uh, that's going to be very good for them over the next year, three years, Lyndon Marshall. Uh, he's draft eligible. Uh, there's a lot of teams interested in him. Um, and for Chase, he, he, he saw limited action this year. He was given a chance up until about late November, and then Lyndon took over. And for, for that standpoint, as a development coach, it's really tough uh, to, to motivate those type of guys, to, to keep them uh, with their head on straight and structured on a day-to-day -day basis and wanting to play for their team and wanting to go out with their goalie coach. Uh, but for Chase, he's a really academic kid and he's really focused on the engineering program at RPI. And uh, from our standpoint, uh, we've, all, we've all asked the, the most of him and what he could give to this organization. I don't know what management's plans are going forward with him, but uh, as far as Chase and what he's done uh, in his college career, obviously we like, have liked to, to perform better, but at that standpoint, uh, we have other prospects too. Right, we, and we've talked about we, and we've talked about the yeah. competition. I mean, you yeah, know, it really, tough. it does come down to that. I mean, you know, it's and uh, you can never have enough goalies in your system. Right, yeah, that's the reality. Uh, the guy that was the talk of the draft last year, as far as maybe, because as you know, everyone you know labeled the Red Wing draft as questionable after the, all eleven picks, <laughs> uh, and you know, and I guess Rasmussen's kind of proven people wrong, mm -hmm. and you know, Chalowski I know was two yeah. years ago, but he's playing well. But the guy that said Detroit. Maybe I'm, you know, to mix sports metaphors here, hit a home run was Keith Petrozelli, that he was probably the best player the Red Wings drafted last year. Early indications. Obviously, that's all yeah. changed now. Um, Petrozelli, very affable young man. He was at the Summer Showcase for Team USA, played well. Uh, is it you know again walking away, you know, because he's a nice kid and stuff. We're thinking, oh God, we hope he's the goalie of the future. Quinnipiac, very good school. The adjustment to college life has been a little bit uh, transitional, shall we say, yes. for Keith. Uh, Keith had a great year in Muskegon the year before, and 
there were a lot of teams that passed on him and ultimately our scouting staff saw he was the best one in line in, in that pick and we took a guy that I saw seven times live last year and the progression and improvements he made from October of 2016 to it was February, March of 2017 before we draft him was outstanding. And then now going into college, which it's that much harder than a junior hockey, where helter-skelter, guys are immature. It, he's really trying to learn structurally, technically, uh, how to identify himself as a goalie. Because he's honestly already he's gotten away with size. And, well, yeah, he's six, six foot six. six. Yes. And you can block the puck all you want. You can get in front of it. You move laterally, east and west, slide all over the place. But if you don't have structure, you're gonna you at a higher level when the guys start moving the puck faster. They start picking spots. Uh, they have pre scouts on you. They're gonna get a hold of that and they're gonna make you look silly. So for Keith, it's been an adjustment. He's had an adjustment not only academically but to coaching staff wise. They have Jared Wayman is one of the best goalie coaches in the NCAA right now in Division One, and he's very very technical. So for Keith, I think it was a little bit of a, a learning curve. It was different because he's you know, challenged himself at times going to goalie camps and stuff like that. But when you have a day-to-day -day basis, uh, a goalie coach that is technical, structurally is demanding, it's, it's tough on certain guys. So, you know, I get to give Keith a lot of credit. He started out the year, actually lost to Boston University 3-2 in overtime, had a really good game that game, and then had a couple struggling starts after that. And then the other goalie, Andrew Shortridge, took over a little bit. Uh, for I would say a good two and a half months and he really didn't see the ice and then we got Keith's academics we got his uh, work ethic everything in order and I think going forward he just got off a, a two nothing sweet sweep of Yale University and he's on to the second round of the playoffs versus the big red at Cornell oh, wow. and I think it's a great opportunity to show a continue to show his skill set what he's improved upon I just did clip the two games that he played against Yale and he was absolutely outstanding and making a lot of good stops and he, he structurally has gotten better uh, just in a, in a matter of two months he's re, he's really bought into his goalie coach's team uh, really teammates really like him and uh, he, he's a guy that he's gonna have to hit the weight room he's got to gain weight there's no doubt about that but he's a he's a long-term project for us but he's gonna make the pro, pros at some point and he'll he'll be he'll be someone very similar to the development of Jerry Curl sure right and they're very similar in size in size yes yes, yes. i mean you know petrozelli uh would you be dis it sounds like he's beginning to mature yes. and we all start to mature you know maturity is a mm -hmm. big thing for everybody mm -hmm. uh not just hockey players yep. but would you be disappointed or do you have an expectation where you think that okay he struggled his sophomore season and he's a true freshman mm -hmm. by the way you know i mean well I think he a couple, maybe not 17, but I mean he's young, still a young player. That he grabs that brass ring, that that it catches on with him, that you expect him next year to be at Quinnipiac and and to be the man. I I agree that uh, he's been uh, talked to by Sean Horkoff, uh, Dan Cleary, who's a part of our development, and uh, Jeff Saleko has has reached out to Keith as well and. They've been three big advocates of him, and they said, if you want to be a pro goalie, this is how you're going to have to, to perform, and this is how you're going to have to live your lifestyle, and this is how you're going to have to eat, work out, train, so on and so forth. So 
for Keith, I think he's learning. And I've been, honestly, I've taken a step back as a development coach and let those guys that played professional hockey, such mm -hmm. as a Horkoff and, and a Cleary, and then Sal as well, let them make that impact on him. And then I visited him about three weeks ago in Quinnipiac, and he was outstanding in the one... Uh, one start that I watched against RPI and uh, our interactions have been pretty good and really positive and I've sent him a bunch of clips on uh, four or five goalies that are big. Jared Corot, uh, Anders Limbach, Anthony Stolarz, you name it, so on and so forth. And then I've sent him a bu bunch of practice habits, uh, certain skating uh, drills that I do with our goalies uh, in Toledo and GR and certain drills that I think he can benefit from. So he's really absorbing that and uh, with his goalie coach, Jared Wayman, and, and he, you can see just in a matter of a month to two months, the progression. He's right, starting to get it's, it's it. Starting it's starting to, come, to set yeah. in. And I think his parents, uh, he had the option, okay, can I stay at Quinnipiac or can I go to Moncton? And because his rights are with Moncton. And you know what? Education, I believe education should be first. You're there, you're not flunking out, you're, you're, you've committed to that university. And we see as an organization that's the best spot for you and to, to develop over the next three, four years. You know, perfect. Stay there and, and work hard, work, learn to work. Let's uh, go to Caden Fulcher. Now, I, I don't know, was Caden under contract or did he come on a tryout and you guys gave him a contract? Yeah, under, uh, he was draft eligible. Uh, people pass on him. He was really actually a high, he was supposed to be a high draft pick. And uh, kind of, he faltered a little bit last year. And then uh, I, we knew the up, upside, excuse me, in which he had. And he came to our, uh, our prospect camp and uh, was very good in that, that prospect camp up in Traverse City in that tournament. And uh, at a training camp, we gave him a contract. And he's over 30 wins this year for Hamilton. And Hamilton's in the top 10 of the CHL. Caden, uh, if I can compare a goalie out there right. for, for names, it's, it, he's identical to Tuka Rask. Uh, really? In every, well, that, in every, that's good. In every aspect. Uh, like athleticism, uh, you know, handling the puck, uh, ability to maneuver east and west, you know, post play, how he can like really manipulate and maneuver his body into, you know, so flexible. And then ultimately his, his passion for the game. It's outstanding. He could literally stay out with his goalie coach and just do one drill for an hour. It's, it's incredible. He's that just that uh, in, intrigued by the position and focused and driven. So uh, my relationship with Caden uh, is outstanding. We talk weekly and uh, he's a guy that I think has some very serious upside that we we can't uh, I think he's learning a lot about his body right now how it works the functionality of it and uh, how he at times he overreacts a lot and that's that's normal for a, a younger guy when the shots get harder but because they because they don't realize what they're covering for space right and what's behind them the net in the dimensions of the net so right. we're trying to teach him that and you know what he's had a great year uh, and I can see him going on a long run with Hamilton in the CHL playoffs and hopefully he's a guy that could go into a, a Memorial Cup situation uh, we don't know if he's a guy that could be a, a Toledo guy next year or an overage uh, but we're gonna give him every opportunity to, to uh, make the make the adjustment into pro hockey. So if he is part of the Red Wing organization and isn't an overager back in the OHL, you see him at Toledo. 
Uh, Toledo has one guy, and and uh, as of right now, and where like, he would get the bulk of the work. Yeah, bulk of the work. You don't want to. I just don't want to take him out of uh, Hamilton after this year. And he, okay, he's a he's a four guy in GR. He gets thrown to the Wolves, and he's playing you know limited minutes. I, I don't think that would be beneficial for him. I'd rather see. Uh, you know, a lot of minutes at a Hamilton level as an overage or uh, in Toledo. Uh, let's uh, let's continue because I've kept you probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody else is enjoying themselves, and you're in here stuck with me talking about goalies. Something you do it's every my job. Single it's day. awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Ma- is it Mate? Mate Mahovsky. Mahovsky, who. Uh, it's pretty impressive for a while there. I know the media liked him because he was able to translate. <laughs> uh, his English is good. But here's a guy that came here. I remember talking to Dan Watson last summer, and he said, that's the guy that's going to be Toledo's goal. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, that's going to be our guy. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for Mate, coming over, he tweaked his groin uh, in training camp and then ultimately after a couple games he tweaked it again so Pat Nagel had the the bulk of the work down there and he was outstanding right, like, right. he was like he has the most player of the month right. yeah, yeah he has the most wins in the league so they were splitting every game but Mate ended up before before coming up he ended up with the highest save percentage in the league so after 20 plus starts and uh, Mate was a guy that we watched for over in the Czech Elite League in Pilsen. And uh, he's had consistently year after year after year the highest save percentage there. He has a lot of skill asset in the sense that he's flexible, mobile, um, you know, plays a style that people reminisce of uh, maybe Marc Andre Fleury, really like showman like. Uh, all about style, life, you know, car, and it's okay, you know, and and that's what what gets him through. And uh, you know, I, I really love working with him. He's one and one so far in GR. It's two good starts. Uh, un- unfortunately, last game, you know, we we gave up a lot of chances against and uh, gave up four, but he was good in that game. And I think he's just acclimating from the East Coast League level to even the AHL. It's it's a huge step. So. Uh, we could see a guy that he's on a one-year contract and hopefully he makes the most of his starts that he could be a guy that comes back next year and he, he's possibly in a, a second role in GR fighting for one spot, one, one minute. Uh, we mentioned him uh, and you've talked about him and I met him up in camp. Uh, is it Jordan Van Poppel or Jordan Van Poppelberg? Jordan Van Poppelberg, yeah, 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 you know, <laughs> I, I Americanize everything. Uh, but uh, interesting case here because. I think, you know, maybe from a Red Wing perspective, and I don't want to speak for the for the organization, but it kind of looked like things were progressing pretty well with yeah. him, and kind of a curveball was thrown into this. Yeah, it, I went over and saw Joran, and he had a really good start to the this year uh, over in HC DeVos in the Swiss A League. Uh, his other goalie partner is uh, Gilles Sen. He's from Switzerland, and he's a draft pick of the New Jersey Devils uh, in 2017. And uh, literally, they've been competing back and forth every other start, and Gilles finally took over. And uh, to, to be honest, Joran uh, has never played over in North America besides playing in the World Juniors. So uh, not only culturally, but from a standpoint of going from Olympic to North American ice, I think it's a little bit of a, a mindset for him right now. He's really comfortable being in Switzerland uh, with his family. His family lives only an hour and a half from Davos <laughs> in Zug. And uh, he's a girlfriend in DeVos. Uh, he really gets along well with his teammates there. I, so I think he's comfortable right now with that standpoint. And 
Uh, I don't think I, we see him signing this year. Uh, there's a possibility that you know if he progresses well next year and he gets to the point where he runs with the bulk of the mail that we could so sign him by 2019. Uh, he's going to have to put up a really good year though. Uh, this is going to be his last year of his, uh, you know, of, of the four years of right, right. Uh, being a draft pick. And you know we have other good prospects, so it's just going to be really difficult from our standpoint because we're also looking at uh, you know veteran AHL goalies. We're looking at free agents in Europe or in North America that could be a part of our program as well as our prospects. So. It's going to be a decision from as far as myself, Jeff Saleko, Maciej Swak, our development, our uh, European goalie scout, as well as management to to see if uh, he's ready for that next step to sign him to a contract. Are there any goalies that are draft eligible this year? I mean, I you know I look at everybody's list, and I mean I know they you know the Central Scouting Bureau has like a goaltender list, but when you look at people are. you know when they're rating just you know my top 100 prospects yeah. or my top 150. Yeah. You know, the first goalie you see checks in at like 82 or something, oh, yeah. you know, and I mean, uh, so are there are there guys that, that are out there that could possibly be drafted by the Red Wings? I know you don't want to tip the cap of the organization, no, no. Oh, absolutely. But, 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 no, but, but, you know, who are name, there some guys yeah, out there? Naming names that uh, that people might uh, recognize, Jakob Skark, he was in uh, the Czech Republic, he's he's going to be a guy that's going to be in, ar in around the second or third round. You know, there's guys that could be no names like uh, Jesper Eliasson in, in Sweden. Uh, there's two guys in the Quebec Major Junior League. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue, his, his father is Sylvain Rodrigue, he's the development coach uh, in Edmonton. Uh, you have Kevin Mandelis, he's in Cape Breton, he's been uh, praised, he almost made uh, the Canadian World Junior team. And then there's a couple other guys uh, over in the Czech and Slovakia as well as Sweden that uh, I, I won't name names that we're keeping close eyes on as well but uh, that, you know there there will come a point out of a, we have 11 picks that there will be a good possibility we draft a goalie and that's ultimately up to Tyler Wright and our management staff right. um, when the right time will be so uh, you know like I said earlier in the podcast you can never have enough goalies whether that be a, a free agent signing or um, be a, a draft pick so you know, you want those guys to ultimately develop relationships with myself and Sal and our management, our staff, but, uh, you know, they work their way to the top, they rise to the top, those guys filter themselves out after you give them all of the, you know, the insight and whatever it may be, the coaching, uh, they eventually work their way up to the top. So. When, you, when you look at this whole thing now, people want to come up to you like, you know, well, Brian Mahoney-Wilson, development coach for the Detroit Red Wing organization, uh, I know what you're going to say because you work for him, but there are prospects. I mean, goaltending is in capable hands at this point. You think that eventually somebody that we talked about here today is going to make them going to make it into the red and white, and perhaps maybe even be the guy. I agree totally, and it's patience. I have patience, a lot of patience on my part, and uh, you know, for an organization, they have to be patient to stand by myself and Sal to trust our opinion and that we're giving these guys on a day-to-day -day basis all the best resources possible for them to achieve what they, their highest level of achievement. And um, the guys that I named, uh, you know, the Larsons, the Hayden <laughs> Fulchers, the Petrozellis, those are three big names that, that could potentially rise to the top. And then, let alone all the free agents that are out there that, hey, if someone's 
just as good, if not better, hey, why can't we sign them, you know, and why can't we go out and offer, hey, this is the Detroit Red Wings, we want a part, you a part of our organization, and whoever this year may be draft eligible, maybe one of those guys, or the year after, so uh, from a fan's standpoint, they want it now, I get that, but Detroit's in good hands as far as goaltending and the development over the next five, six, seven years. So uh, I like where it's headed, and ultimately the, it's in good hands, and we're going to develop them the right way. When uh, uh, what's next for you? I mean, do you want to be a goaltending coach? You not that you want oh, yeah. Saleko's job, but <laughs> I mean, or do you want to be a head coach? I mean, because a lot of goalies find their way behind the bench. Well, uh, this is only my second year within this job, but before that I was in college hockey and I was an assistant coach and goalie coach role and uh, to make this way to the development coach because I coached goalies for so long I knew all the philosophies, uh, the latest and greatest of that and but also being you know my age at almost 32 being relevant to oh my God, the game ancient, itself ancient, yeah yeah being relevant to the situation and relay like you know on a day-to-day -day basis what these guys go through and i get it so um i see myself being in this role for a very long time honestly uh, you know and i'm not in any rush to oh nhl because it's a whole different ball game you're dealing with younger guys you're dealing with trying to push them on up in the right way possible to the NHL level where the pressure is immense, whereas more of a Sal's role is you're trying to get the max out of that guy and try to make him feel good and try to maintain a lot of maintenance on a day-to-day -day basis. Where I, I'm traveling all over the place with you know these prospects and making sure they feel good so and we can find and we can create that short list of who the best guys are for the future. So. Uh, as far as an NHL role, I would love that definitely someday uh, as far as a head goalie coach. But in the time being, I'm young. I'm not in any way uh, rushing that type of career. And, and I want to just, uh, I like the development role and, and dealing with uh, younger guys and trying to see them uh, fulfill the most down in, in the minor leagues. You know, we, you know I want to congratulate you. You're going to you know, be a dad this coming June, and baby daughter. Thank you. Uh, you know, just wonderful news. I'm, I'm happy for you. You're a great guy. But we know that a lot of times that the summertime, there's no days off. I mean, you're going to have, obviously, you're going to have a child. But, but I guess my point being is, is you know, hockey schools, the, the, you know, it's, it, you know, you, you're always working, I guess, is what uh, I'm absolutely. trying to say. Absolutely. It's also, you know, you, you know, we don't make the most in the world, and that's just the reality. Like, right. you, you know, you're a coach, and you want to supplement your income somehow, and that's through hockey camps. And I work for Brian Decord back in Boston, which is my hometown, and uh, outside of Boston in the Metro West, and work with those guys, uh, pro goalies, college goalies back there and then ultimately deal with the draft development camp and lead up into uh, training camp. But uh, another goal of mine is to do, uh, open my own goalie school, goalie business someday, whether that be a three, four week camp in the summertime or a full-time business, you know, when this is all said and done with right. development coach or head goalie coach, uh, you know, somewhere in my 50s or something, I can fall back on a goalie business and relay all that, that learning and tutelage uh, to these younger guys growing up. My final question is about the development of hockey and how it's progressed in the United States. It used to be the three M's, Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts. Now, you know, Austin Matthews, you know, is from Arizona, you know, born in California. The Hughes brothers are from Florida. Uh, I mean, they're, it, it's all over. So 
the state of hockey in the United States appears to be budding, and that's why I'm so disappointed. I, I thought that this year Team USA in the Olympics would have been a young. Yeah. It all would have started to come together. You know, I'm looking at you know I'm looking at Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Trocheck, and Dylan Larkin as your four centers. What maybe 23 is the oldest out of the four of them? You know, I I, I so. I mean, it's got to feel good from where hockey was when I was a kid, where an American would never think about going to the OHL at all. Uh, then it started to progress a little bit. Where it is today is is that hockey truly, no offense to Europeans and Canadians and you know, our North American brother in there, but American hockey is alive and well. It is, and it goes to two things. Credit the youth hockey people, parents, the foundations. Like, they've built up, they've surrounded the area of the National Hockey League organization, the communities of the American League, the East Coast League, and then they built up their organization based around that, like Griff's Youth, Griff's youth Organization, how big that is around here in the Grand Rapids area and how they built those, so many people. You can say that for the Southwest, the West, you can say that for the true South now in Florida, Texas. So what they've done is the NHL has really put a lot of money into those areas and a, and a great job but more importantly it has to go to the players too like the guys at the highest level um, is to be good role models for the younger kids coming up and that, that's everywhere within the NHL and that's why the NHL is growing that's why Seattle that's why it's not the money aspect of it but it's it's definitely has to do with, with the state of the National Hockey League right now and all the areas surrounding it and it's ultimately you got to give all the youth people credit to, to where that foundation that those systems are coming into play uh, I, I, I'm famous for saying one last question but this is I swear to God Brian this is the last one Vegas Golden Knights tremendous story no matter how I guess the season plays out but if they somehow pull this thing off and win the Stanley Cup as an expansion team and it's gonna be tough it's gonna be difficult I mean that has to be one of the greatest stories in the history of sport, regardless of the sport. I mean, that, it's an incredible what that team is doing. Yeah, they're breaking records left and right. Every night you see on NBC Sports, you know, they break, broke the Anaheim Ducks record of uh, most wins, and you know, for a new franchise, you know, or inaugural franchise on the road. You know, like all these little uh, nuances that this team is uh, creating, and great job by uh, obviously George McPhee there, but. What it does for the NHL is the sky's the limit for, okay, Seattle, possibly Quebec City, you know, so on and so forth. All these new cities that could come into play. Could those teams, whether it be an expansion draft or uh, a team moving from another city, right. could those teams just get better? Look at Winnipeg right now. It's the old, old Atlanta Thrashers. Like, look at right, how good right. Winnipeg is. Like, right. So NHL is prospering in it. To, for Vegas to be, everyone's like, oh, it's Vegas, you know, like just a typical label. That's it's great. It's awesome for hockey. You know, much of the chagrin of the uh, the the old Quebec Nordique fans and the, the the city of Quebec, which I I think constantly is building more arenas uh, just to somehow appeal to the NHL. Uh, I hear it's Seattle and Houston, and then it's done for a while. Yeah, I, I I've heard the same thing. Seattle, Houston, Quebec City, Quebec City. You know, they have the capacity in that new arena, the Videotron Center. Uh, but uh, to see what Seattle did, like uh, yeah. on the first day, 27,000 people wanting season tickets, like, oh, well, our only our, our capacity is 18,000, you know, right, right. the key arena, you know, so um, that's awesome for hockey. It's going to be awesome for the, the northwest of uh, the states, and 
honestly, uh, it's going to be great for rivalries as well. So, you know, Vancouver, Seattle, and then. But uh, most importantly is that, uh, you know, throughout this whole podcast, is we get the Detroit Red Wings back on track, and it, and everyone will always say, ah, oh, it starts with goaltending. Well, it, it, you know, in order to, to win, you have to have good goaltending, and I think uh, the Detroit Red Wings are in good hands uh, between myself, Jeff Salico, on a day-to-day basis. There, we do our due diligence, and um, I think these guys that we have in our system right now, they're they're young, they're learning as themselves as people. Right. But uh, more importantly, the buy-in is improving day to day, and they're going to get better, and we'll make sure that they get better so that the future is bright for the Detroit Red Wings in that. Well, it sounds great because, uh, like I said, they, you know, with all due respect to Jimmy, I mean, he's, you know, Eventually, Father Time catches up to all of us, and Red Wings are going to need a goalie here pretty soon. Uh, Brian Mahoney Wilson, development uh, coach for the Detroit Red Wings, goalie coach, development goalie coach, I guess is the proper thing. I keep butchering your title, Brian. I, I, but thanks for joining us on the Red and White Authority. Thanks. Always enjoy your company. I, I watched you as a player. I mean, you know, I was I was a fan of yours. You know, Lake State. Uh, you, you you always root for. "Quote unquote," the underdog, but Lake State was not is not an underdog in hockey. But uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for taking it, uh, your time out, especially at an event like this. And uh, we'll talk to you real, real soon. Thank you. Thank you, Art. I appreciate it, and uh, it was nice to get on and tell the people of Detroit uh, all about uh, the goaltending situation. Thank you. Thank you.